Good morning and welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Connie. And I'm Danny. And we invite you to come and shelter with us in this season of gratitude and response to the great news that Christ has been raised. Let us worship God. Come on in. Our first reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson, as Vicki told you, we are still on Easter day. The women have been to the tomb and found it empty. They are met there by angelic beings who say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And so the women leave and make a beeline back to Jerusalem, and they tell the, the disciples there. And the, the disciples, for the most part, don't believe them, except Peter. He titled it to that tomb. And, so, and he, too, found it empty. So we pick up in Luke 24, verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went to them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is it that you are discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know these things that have taken place there these days? Jesus answered them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God, 
and all people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some of our women astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find the body there, they came back and told us that indeed they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish You are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near to the village to which they were going, He walked ahead of them as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening up the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and he appeared to Simon. And then they told him what had happened, told them what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have these followers of Jesus. Cleopas and his friends, and they had witnessed Jesus' violent death just a few days earlier. They had watched their hopes go down the drain, and they they saw Jesus being crucified as a criminal. They saw his dying anguish. The one who had shown himself to be God by powerful signs, miracles, and words, could not save those who wished to extinguish, could not be saved from those who wished to extinguish him. These disciples were discouraged, depressed, dispirited, hopeless, helpless, you name it. And now they were headed home. Their world was upside down and nothing for them was as it should be. We can relate to this, right? I don't know about you, but in my life, nothing is quite as it should be right now. We find ourselves in the midst of a pandemic. Who would have thought? It's something we've never experienced experienced before. 
This congregation has not met together in this sanctuary since March 15th, and we really don't know when we'll be able to gather together in person again. We have a new vocabulary now. We know words like essential employees and social distancing. We keep our hands clean. We pick our groceries up and, uh, or have them delivered to us. We wear masks if we do dare to enter a retail establishment. If we gather with friends outside of our immediate household, it might be on somewhere strange like Zoom or Google Hangouts. So much has changed so quickly in our world, hasn't it? Now, I'd say that Americans have behaved extraordinarily well during this pandemic, but let's be honest, nothing is like it was. We were once so remarkably free. Our worlds were so big and expansive. We could go wherever we wanted, but now our worlds have become smaller and more limited. We can't quite see how this will end. Now, I imagine that for you, like for me, this is not the first time your world has become smaller. I think this happens when our families and friends are in some sort of time of crisis. You know when your world has become small. I remember a very particular time in my life when my world became very small, mine and my family's. It was in January of 1991. The first Persian Gulf War was underway, and this was the time when our first child, Alex, was born. He came early, so he did some time in the neonatal intensive care unit. And my husband, Eric, and I would be at that unit every day with Alex and his seven suite mates and the various uh, neonatal care people who were there, all those, all those people huddled around those babies in danger. And in the background, in that unit of the hospital, there was always a light pop rock station playing very softly. And there was a particular song at that time that was popular. Maybe some of you know the song. It's called God is Watching Us, and it was sung by Bette Midler. And it began like this. From a distance, the world is blue and green, and the snow-capped mountains are white from a distance, the ocean meets the stream and the eagle takes to flight. And then the chorus, God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. A soothing melody, a beautiful singing voice and terribly distressed disturbing lyrics. Where was God? And why was God so far away? When your world is very small, you wonder about God, don't you? Whether it's in your personal life or it's related to a pandemic. Is God merely watching us? So, back to our disciples, their world has got, had gotten really small. 
The events surrounding the death of Jesus didn't make sense to them, and we joined them on the road to Emmaus, and we overhear them talking about the events of the last few days, how they had hoped that Jesus would be the one to bring the reign of justice and peace and freedom to the people of Israel, and how their hopes were dashed as they had watched him die on that cross. But our perspective is very different from theirs. For we know how this story goes, don't we? Along with our omniscient narrator, we see another figure come up behind them, pacing his steps to theirs until he has joined them in their walk. We know that it's Jesus who walks with them, but they have no idea. He appears as a stranger to them, and our passage tells us that they were kept from seeing him. How crazy is that? Was it their grief and confusion? Were they just so discombobulated they couldn't see? I just don't even believe that. (laughs) The way our text is written, you might think that it was God who kept them from seeing Jesus fully. So, Jesus asks them, what are you discussing as you walk along? And those walking men, they stop dead in their tracks, looking sad. And I can just see Cleopas's jaw drop as he says to this stranger, are you the only one who doesn't know what's been going on in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, well, what's been going on? What's happened? You know, about Jesus of Nazareth. Here they are, talking to Jesus of Nazareth about Jesus of Nazareth. And they said everyone, even his enemies, thought that he was a prophet. He was mighty in word and deed, and we had such high hopes for them. And then there was this morning, the women went to the tomb and found it empty and They said they were met by angelic beings. This is just crazy. They said that Jesus was alive, and you and I, we want to laugh out loud at this, don't we? They're in the presence of the Lord, and they don't even see him. But we know better than that, don't we? Because often it is like that for us too. We know the despondency that comes with dashed dreams, the helplessness that we feel about injustice in our world, the disillusionment that comes upon us when our leaders or other people disappoint, disappoint us. And, and you and I, we too have known the power of death and the finality of it. And we too have been blind to the Lord's presence among us at times. In this time when we're so disoriented and discombobulated by this thing called a pandemic, I am imagining that many people feel abandoned by God. How could a good God allow such a scourge to come upon us all? And Even the faithful themselves may be crying out and and perhaps should be crying out along with the psalmist, how long, oh Lord, how long? So here's what I think. Here's what I think this word is for us today. 
I think that Emmaus is an everyday place for those of us who walk by faith. So Jesus, he's walking along with them anonymously and he just can't stand it anymore. You know, he told them that he would die and that he would be raised from death, but they don't get it. And he sounds a little frustrated to me when he says, Oh, you foolish people, how slow of heart you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then Jesus begins to open up the Hebrew scriptures to them. I cannot begin to imagine what Jesus' voice sounded like. Here we are, the Word of God made flesh, giving an exposition of the Word of God revealed. So maybe Jesus started in Genesis with God's beautiful creation and human uh, disobedience, and yet God's persistent desire to redeem. Maybe he went from there to God's covenant with Abraham, who was told that he would be a blessing to all nations and all people, that nations would come from him. Maybe he talked a little bit about Israel as God's special kingdom of priests and a light to the nation. Maybe Jesus reminded them of God's promise to raise up a prophet like Moses and then a king on the throne of David who would reign forever and ever. Just maybe, Jesus dipped into Isaiah 52 and 53 and read to them or reminded them of the description even of himself on the cross, his appearance disfigured beyond that of any man. And his form marred beyond human likeness. He was despised, rejected, a man of suffering, acquainted with infirmity, like one from whom others hide their faces. Despised, rejected, a man of sorrows. And then maybe Jesus went on into Isaiah 53, where he says, but he was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Among him was laid the punishment that made us whole, and by his wounds we are healed. All of this had to happen, Jesus said, before the Messiah could come in his glory. So they listened. And these things made some sense to them. And they reached their Emmaus destination and the stranger walks, wants to walk on ahead of them, but they can't let him go. So they do what they can. They offer him the hospitality of a meal and a place to stay for the night. And we see that while the sun is setting, these disciples are just about to see the light. They recline at the dinner table together and Jesus takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it to them and suddenly they can 
see that it's Jesus. The power of the blindness is gone. They have heard the word, but it was in the table fellowship when they actually regained their sight and they finally see the resurrected Jesus for who he is. And snap, (laughs) he's gone. These disciples have been on a journey, but it wasn't the journey they thought they were on from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They have been on a journey from blindness to sight, from hindsight to insight, from the heavy, heavy heart to the burning heart. Death has been dealt a death blow and things are not at all as they appear. And so they get up from the table saying, weren't our hearts burning within us as he told us about the scriptures on the road? And so they get up and they lace up their Nikes and they head all the way back to Jerusalem. Did it matter that it was dark outside? Did it matter that it was late and they would arrive late in Jerusalem? No. Because when you have encountered Jesus in this sort of up close and personal way, you just can't wait to tell somebody. So they get back to Jerusalem and they find that they are not the only one who has seen Jesus. But many disciples are saying that they have seen him, that he has indeed been raised from the dead. So let's back up a little bit. What was it that made their hearts burn? It was scripture, the word of God. It's fifth century uh, Augustine of Hippo experienced the burning heart under the teaching of Ambrose. Uh, John Wesley said that his, his heart was strangely warmed. Luther encountered the burning heart as he truly read and studied Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And you have experienced, perhaps, the burning heart too. You're just going along with your day and you flip on the television or the radio and you run into some piece of scripture and all of a sudden you know it's for you. It might happen on Facebook or anywhere these days. Um, or you could be in church. You could, it could be in virtual church. It could be in a Bible study. You could, it could be during your quiet time, but suddenly you know that you have encountered the Lord. Your heart burns, your spirit soars. And through the miracle of the spirit and the word, you have encountered the risen Christ. It still happens today. It's so interesting in this account that Jesus' presence and the scriptures were not enough to take away their blindness. And it wasn't until they met Jesus at the table until their sight was restored. And it's a wonderful reminder for us that Christ meets us in his word, in our fellowship, and certainly around his table. Now, if you've been tuned into First Pres, if you're part of this community or have been watching us the last few weeks, you will know that Danny and I served what I guess we'd call the virtual Lord's Supper on Monday, Thursday, and also on Easter Sunday. 
And while that's very strange, we are trusting in the power of the Lord to connect us as we gather our hearts around Christ's table. At this table, which is right in front of me, typically we gather in faith and we acknowledge that Christ is our host. But there's something different about the Emmaus table. At the Emmaus table, Jesus is the guest. And I thought about this and I thought, might it really be a wonderful thing if we made it our pandemic practice to invite Jesus to the table with us every time we dine. And I remembered this small prayer, and I did a little research. I think it comes from the Lutheran tradition, but here it is. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed. It's as simple as that. So I challenge you to consider that, whether you eat alone or with family, maybe Christ will join you wherever you are. We can be certain that he will when he's invited. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest and let these gifts to us be blessed. So it's been a long time since our son's tentative beginnings in the neonatal intensive care unit. He has grown up and is a wonderful young man now, but somewhere about the time he was 13 or 14, he went through a confirmation class, which is the way we Presbyterians teach our youth about what it is we believe, one of the ways. And Alex at that time wrote a statement of faith, and I'm going to read you a couple of sentences from his statement. He writes, A history book says that the initial thrill of religion is knowing that you're part of something greater than yourself. The God described by Jesus goes a bit further, saying that not only are you part of God's plan, but that you actually matter to him. You can take it for granted in good times. You don't always realize it in bad times. Alas, He is there. Alex's testimony, alas, he is there. Now, we don't hear the word alas used a lot in our day, do we? It is uh, rooted in in the Latin, and it means uh, weariness, tiredness. It's to say alas is sort of a big sigh and an admission that we can't do it on our own. We need help. And then the good news, he is there. He is with you where you are and with us here. So true confession, sometimes when I encounter the real world of pandemics and and death and wars and violence and politics and turbulence, I feel frustrated and confused and overwhelmed. There is so much in our world that is broken. But it is here that Emmaus gives me courage. Because in the life of faith, Emmaus day is really every day for those of us who walk in faith. While our lives may appear to be blindness and confusion, they are really places of revelation 
and of hope and of new resurrection life. Jesus was with the disciples and those, those first believers, those people on the road to Emmaus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ is with us even and especially now. He is present at our worship, in our worship, in our tables, and as we live as the church in a wilderness of dispersion. Our hopes are not unfounded. Our faith is not misplaced. The testimony of Jesus and his first followers were true, so I ask you, has your heart been burning sometime in the last few weeks as we've replayed the events and the meaning of the life and the death of our Lord Jesus? Has Jesus been known to you in the breaking of the bread or in the hearing and encountering of his word? Has Jesus come alongside you to remind you that God loves you so very much? And have you told anybody? You know, make no mistake, Jesus is just as contagious as the coronavirus, and he's certainly more powerful. And like the coronavirus, he spreads from person to person. It, is, it has been the witness of the church throughout history that in these times when we are dislocated and discombobulated and fearful and all those wonderful words, that God is birthing and doing a new thing in our midst. May it be so for us. And may it be so for Christ's church around the world. Alleluia. And amen.